Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 76. And this is the last one in 2023 before the holidays and a bit of a break before launching again in January. I'm Jim Cornell and this is the weekly LaBiotech podcast. And this week we're talking vaccines with Mei Mei Hu, CEO of Vaccinity. The US-based company is pioneering a new class of vaccines that convert the body into its own natural drug factory by stimulating the production of antibodies. The company is ambitious. It's looking to address a wide range of chronic diseases, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, migraine, and high cholesterol, with a robust clinical pipeline. So let's find out more. So maybe we could start if you could give me some background on vaccinity and how it started and how it kind of grew to where you are today? Yeah, of course. Listen, every evolution story is different, but uh, I'd say most of them never think that they're going to grow up to who they are if you ask them, you know, when they started. And that's no different from vaccinity. I was born into a a biotech background and became a a lawyer and economist uh, by training, but really kept getting drawn back and it was uh, through a predecessor of, of vaccinity where the technology was really incubated. You know, it, it proved itself as a synthetic peptide vaccine platform and a variety of other applications, in particular in animal health. And my partner and I, you know, saw the potential of saying, hey, what if we could really apply this technology of vaccinating against self-antigens to humans? And that was kind of where uh, vaccinity as a concept was born. Of course, the world takes you in many ways and and there's iteration. So we went through different corporate structures, but vaccinity came together about two years ago um, in its current incarnation, where we're focused on developing you know vaccines for chronic diseases around the world. It's been a long dream in the making uh, and we still have a, a good ways to go, but the impact is tremendous of what we're trying to achieve. What is it that you're trying to achieve and can you maybe explain a little bit about your approach and how it differs from other approaches? Yeah. So we are developing vaccines for chronic diseases uh, or active immunotherapies. And what that means is we're teaching your body to protect itself from things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, migraine, all the you know major diseases that affect millions or billions of people. The main difference is in the scalability and accessibility and the model of how vaccines can work versus other drugs today that attack and treat chronic diseases. 80% of the entire globe is vaccinated. We saw in COVID that you can rapidly deploy billions of doses around the world, whereas you know traditional biologics are very limited by their supply and their complexity and their price. So the real difference is the ability to what we call democratize health and get transformative treatments to everyone in the world that needs them at a price that everyone can really afford and accept. And that means that you can make a massive impact and a real dent in the diseases. So our goal is when we're successful 10 years later, will there be more or less Alzheimer's patients out there? We want there to be a benefit for the world, not just a select few. I think that's really important because quite often companies come in with the idea of we'll go to the US maybe Europe, Japan. So I think it's important that it is global and that it's affordable, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a key tenant of what we do because, you know, there are other folks that are working on Alzheimer's or other folks that are working on heart disease. But the main differentiator is our vision for global impact 
and having almost like no patient left behind. And the only way you can do that is with a technology that can do that. And the pharma industry hasn't had that as a classic model. And, you know, I don't blame anyone. It's it's because there are limitations to the current technologies out there. They're expensive to make, they're complex to manufacture, and there's limited supply, just capital infrastructure today. And so they have to have a different model. But when you can do it in a vaccine form, that's when the model can change. And that's what's really exciting about what we're doing. I wonder if you could explain a little bit about your new class of vaccines and how it trains the body. Yeah, sure. So, you know, we're a synthetic peptide vaccine platform. And what we do is we select epitopes based on the targets that we want to elicit an immune response to. So everyone understands vaccines popularized by COVID, where one of the keys is that we want to get your immune system to produce antibodies, right? So we want to activate these B cells to produce antibodies. The challenge with going after chronic diseases, though, is that your immune system is very smart. It's probably one of the most sophisticated machines in the world. And it doesn't like to make antibodies that attack itself. If it did that naturally, that would the cause of autoimmune disease. So it's trained itself to really not do that against key proteins in your body. The problem is, as we get older, some of those key proteins are actually the cause of disease either because there's too much of them being produced or your body can't clear them fast enough, or in fact, they begin mutating and misfolding and then becoming toxic themselves. So the trick with our technology is we literally trick your body into thinking that these things are foreign and thus induce an immune response, so induce an antibody response to in fact neutralize some of these. So for every disease we go after, Jim, there's a different target. Right. So for Alzheimer's, uh, you know, our lead vaccine is against aggregated amyloid protein. For hypoclostremia, it's something called PCSK9. A lot of these targets have been validated before by drugs before them, but never in this type of approach. And so really the trick of our synthetic peptide technology is being able to trick the body into thinking that something itself is actually foreign and thus being able to activate that immune system. Obviously, things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, a lot of people are trying to tackle those, and it's very Mm -hmm. difficult. How does your approach kind of differ from traditional approaches in order to succeed where other companies may have had limited success? Yeah. So there are two comparisons that are classically made. The first is to other vaccine companies. And there have been other companies that have tried to develop a vaccine for Alzheimer's, for instance. And I always applaud the pioneers who paved the way. Uh, one of the first companies was a company called Lan, and they had, you know, early promise. But the problem was that, you know, a good portion, almost 4% of their population had safety side effects of meningoencephalitis, which is like T-cell inflammation. That's not good when it comes to a drug treatment. And they had to cancel that program. So one of the key tenets of our platform is the safety profile. We're able to induce an antibody response without generating that similar T-cell inflammation. And that's a hallmark of our vaccine platform. So the safety is, is the number one thing, especially when you go into thinking about immunotherapies for the masses. And the second, where we've really focused on, is actually being able to do something called break immune tolerance. And immune tolerance is exactly what I was talking about just before, which is our our body has trained itself to basically tolerate certain proteins that it generates and not develop an immune response to it. And so our trick is how do you flip that switch and break it anyway? 
And that's where we trick the body into, you know, triggering that B cell activation. So we've been able to do those things, which have allowed us to be, you know, more effective as a vaccine approach than others. The second comparison is often to traditional biologics, like uh, monoclonal antibodies. And really the, the big difference is monoclonal antibodies, they're manufactured in a giant vat externally someplace, uh, and then injected into patients. As a result, they're very expensive, they're very complicated, and there's limited number of people that they can treat. And so our whole approach is antithetical to that and trying to basically democratize biologics by getting your body to be that bioreactor. You know, we're in the clinic right now. We've kind of validated our platform technology, but that's really the, the main areas where, where we've been able to overcome uh, where other people have had challenges. Without giving any secrets away, how does the vaccine platform work? Mm. Uh, so I, I like to use analogies. So it's like um, a sheep in wolf's clothing. So if you present a sheep to a shepherd, it's not going to attack it because it's like, oh, it's part of my herd. So what we do is with our epitope design, with our vaccine design, uh, we put just a little bit of wolf's clothing on the sheep. So, you know, we take a, an epitope that looks like self and we make it have a motif that looks foreign. So like measles or tetanus, something that our body recognizes as something foreign and that needs to mount the immune response to. So really what we do is we may dress the, the sheep, you know, with a wolf's head. And that'll trigger parts of the, the shepherd to say, hey, I got to get on alert. Maybe I get my dogs ready. And then I, I mount an attack to protect my herd. And that's what we do with the immune system. So we take something like amyloid and we attach it to something that looks like measles. And that gets the body tricked, one arm of the immune system activated, and it sends a signal to the other part of the immune system to say like, hey, let's produce antibodies. Let's get our defenses up. So that in a nutshell is kind of how our technology works. Because it's synthetic peptides that you're working with, does that make it more scalable? It's definitely part of it. Yeah. So the synthetic part makes it, it's more like a chemical process. So it's more stable manufacturing. It's very scalable manufacturing. Uh, the other part that makes it scalable is, is the mere fact that it's a vaccine versus a passive immunotherapy, right? And as a result, you use much less actual drug material per dose per patient. So all in all, we're probably, you know, a hundred times or even a thousand times less expensive uh, as a cost of goods per patient. And as a result, it's also just much more scalable. Like you can see with, with vaccines, again, you can produce billions of doses a year, whereas um, a passive immunotherapy, you're probably treating, you know, a million folks at most. And what about addressing safety, which is obviously important? It's critical. And it's ironic. I have a thing that, that uh, I tell my kids and everyone is like, everything happens for a reason, right? And so one of the keys to safety with um, developing a vaccine or active immunotherapy for chronic diseases is you want to make sure that it's reversible, right? So you can really control the antibody response. So with our technology, it's always reversible. It's not a permanent immune response. So if you want to keep antibody levels up, you have to reboost. So you have to boost with a, a vaccine on an annual basis, maybe on a quarterly basis. It just depends on the disease. The irony is that when we first got into this business, we were really quite disappointed that we couldn't get a, a more robust, permanent immune response. And we we're like, why can't we get it for years and years? And, you know, everything happens for a reason. And in fact, it is a safety blessing that everything comes down and reverts to normal in the absence of the vaccine. So that's a, a key feature. It's quite different what 
you're doing. Um, sometimes that can be met with suspicion, sometimes with great excitement. What's the reaction been like to what you're doing? Oh, it's both. Anytime you're pioneering something, it's got to be, you know, if it's not half terrifying and half thrilling, it's, you know, you're not doing it right. So, of course, whenever you're trying to do something that's different, um, there's going to be different reactions, right? So uh, the promise of it is super exciting. And the challenge of it makes it very skeptical. It's like, can we really do this, right? This is, uh, I think, the same thing when people think of AI um, or anything new. So, you know, we've just been methodically de-risking the platform and our program step by step and showing folks um, with data that it can be done and that not only that it can be done, but that it is getting done. And so as you get each de-risking step over with, it gets more and more excitement. So it's definitely a bit of both. And what diseases are you tackling? Oh, you know, uh, I'd say we're going after the low-hanging fruit, but that those are pretty large. So um, we're going after the big ones like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, hypocholesteremia. These are the largest killers in the world. You know, I like hypocholesteremia as, a, as an example to talk about because heart disease is still the number one killer in the world everywhere, including in the developing world. For the first time in history, chronic diseases are killing us more than everything external combined even in the developing countries. And so that just highlights the need for really scalable and accessible technologies. The tragedy of that is that we know how to prevent most of heart disease, right? You lower cholesterol and you keep it lower. The problem is that we don't have the medicines that either folks are compliant with or that folks have access to. And so that's the challenge. And so that's really one of the reasons why we're tackling it. The biology is de-risk because we know it works. So now we just have to go in with a new approach that can be not only shown to be achieve a proof of concept, but then be scaled to everyone. What's your pipeline look like in terms of tackling these different conditions? So we have a number of assets in the clinic. The one that's furthest along is our anti-aggregated amyloid vaccine for Alzheimer's. Uh, that's finished two stages of trials now. The next one is for Parkinson's. So that one uh, is in the clinic as well. We just finished part B in Parkinson's patients of that program that's called UB312. Um, and I think we'll be presenting data in the new year. We also have two other programs, one for migraine and the other one for hypocholesteremia. And the hypocholesteremia one called VAX401 should be reading out sometime in the first half of next year. So there's a lot of, lot of data, a lot of progress in the clinic. And really what we're showing is one, you know, the platform works. We're able to break immune tolerance and get virtually everyone to generate antibodies against self-antigens. So that's awesome. And the second is we've proved up the mechanism of action. And we did that most recently in our Parkinson's study, which means that not only can we break immune tolerance, those antibodies are getting across the blood-brain barrier where they need to be, and then they're engaging in the target. So they're actually neutralizing the target that we're going after. So those are both pretty cool things. Our next step is now showing proof of concept that we can find some clinical efficacy. But you know, again, this is this methodical de-risking and validating of our programs. The delivery for this, is it just a one-time thing or is it something that you have to re-administer periodically? It has to be boosted. And, you know, again, we like that because it's good for safety, just in case anyone doesn't want it anymore. Or like, we, we don't want a immune response that we can't manage. 
to like a permanent immune response that we can't turn off. So classically, there's a priming regimen, just like you get boosted, you know, you get primed with a COVID vaccine twice, you have to get primed with our vaccine three times. And then after that, you get boosted. And the frequency depends on the disease that we're talking about. And are you looking to management or turning the clock back and curing? So I'd add one in there also, which would be preventing in the first place. So we definitely look to manage the disease. So once someone already has or early signs of Alzheimer's, uh, that would be a stage of intervention, in which case we would look to slow the decline of the disease or like stabilize patients. But more importantly, and maybe more impactfully, and this is the dream of a, a vaccine, of an active immunotherapy, is to prevent it in the first place. So imagine, you know, just like we give our children MMR vaccines and or, you know, the, the chickenpox vaccine so that our kids no longer get chickenpox in the first place. Imagine being able to go and get an Alzheimer's vaccine when you're, you know, 40, 50, or when you, you show in your blood that you're starting to have these proteins accumulate and you start getting immunized so that even though you would have maybe gotten Alzheimer's at 60, 70, you're now pushing away so you don't get until you're 100 or you die of something else. That's the idea. I think that's where the true impact of vaccines, that's where our life expectancy has basically doubled in the last century or so. And a big part of it has been our immunization processes. So I think that's where we could only dream and that's where we envision ultimately going. Multiple vaccinations for multiple conditions, maybe? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we have really robust childhood immunization now. And now what we're looking for is healthy aging, right? Vaccinating for healthy aging. Good to be able to attack this before it happens rather than having to intervene and manage something because clearly there are many diseases where once you reach a certain stage, no amount of intervention is going to make much difference. Exactly. Einstein had a great quote at the risk of butchering. It was something like, you know, smart people solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So if we can prevent the problem from happening in the first place, we're much better off. You mentioned the conditions that you're applying this to. Would it apply to other conditions as well that you aren't tackling yet? Yeah, it absolutely could. So we have a whole list. Um, the beauty of the technology is it can go after almost any target that's accessible by an antibody. So, you know, there are hundreds of antibodies that have been approved and have validated biologies already. One of the challenges is that they, one, can never be or rarely used in combination with each other, right? Because it's so expensive. So one benefit of vaccines is you can go after multiple targets at the same time. So you could go after high cholesterol, hypertension, you know, all in the same vaccine candidate. You know, one of the things that, that we're looking at is there are all these other targets for diabetes, you know, for other immunological disorders, for allergy. These are all things that could be gone after, you know, with our platform and would be very interesting to uh, imagine if you could prevent frailty of bones or muscle loss. One of the most popular classes of drugs now is, you know, for obesity, just for that reason, and diabetes. So there are many, many indications that we can go after. And what we're, or our pipeline right now is just the beginning. Obviously, you can't do everything at once, even though that would be nice. Especially if you're a small company, we have to pick and choose our battles. But just to give you an idea, like right now, vaccines are mostly against infectious diseases. And there are a limited number of targets that are really important to go after. If you could apply the same technology, but to all chronic diseases, you're talking about being able to expand your pipeline by 40 or 50 times. So these are 
pipelines for decades that has the the potential to address. Does that mean that as a company you may have to or want to look into licensing or partnerships with other companies? Yeah, definitely. I think success always engages an ecosystem. And so our goal is to, you know, treat as and impact as many people as possible. And that very well may mean partnering with other companies that are aligned with what we're doing to help really reach more people ultimately. So what are the next steps for the company? Actually, it's to find partners to help take a particular lead assets forward. The most uh, advanced ones being our neurodegenerative diseases in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. You know, we do have a COVID vaccine that has beautiful clinical trial data that's now going through the registration process. So, you know, even though it doesn't feel like the pandemic, uh, there are still a lot of people that are suffering from COVID. And so we're looking to launch that in the low and middle income countries in the developing world. And then we're, we're going to see how our, our next data reads out. So really progressing the pipeline forward through strategic partnerships, through commercialization, and through good old fashioned data. When do you expect to have, obviously you're doing different trials, but when do you expect to start seeing some of the data from those? You know, next year, first half of next year is going to be a very busy time. We like busy because it means that stuff's happening and that's exciting. And you can't be exact, obviously, but what kind of timelines are you looking at to being able to roll some of this out so that it's positively impacting patients? I think our COVID vaccine would be the first one. Again, it's a different model, but it would be the first proof point for us as a company. And so we look for that in in 2024. How does that differ from currently commercially available vaccines? It's the vaccine that I would give my family, right? And mostly because of the safety and tolerability. Our vaccine is peptide-based, right? It's got a protein, RBD protein also on it. But it's, first of all, a different platform technology. We went head-to-head against mRNA, adeno, and inactivated in a clinical study. And we showed that we were better than most of them on antibody generation and number of people who developed antibodies. And really interestingly, it has a really beautiful tolerability profile. You don't get sick in the same way. Sometimes some of my friends were laid out for days after they got the booster vaccination. And what we want to be is as gentle as possible while still being effective, particularly against the new variants. So I think that's going to be a big differentiator. And so it's, it's basically an mRNA alternative that is safe and friendly. That's how I'd classify it. Would it be the same as the other ones that you have to give a booster? Yeah, th- this would be a booster. And in fact, the label that we're going after would be a heterologous booster. So if you had been vaccinated previously with any mRNA or like an AZ or J&J or an activated vaccine, you could then get boosted with our vaccine. It's pretty broad label. So we try to cover a lot of people. It's part of our tenant. With something like this, because COVID has kind of faded into the background, Obviously, there are still new variants. Do you have to constantly evolve your own products to take care of the variants, or does it take care of that? We have to see. We've tested against all sorts of variants, right? Everywhere from alpha, beta, gamma, delta, omicron, omicron, you know, numbers of omicron. And one of the unique aspects is we don't go after the entire spike protein. We only go after the RBD, which is the more conserved region. And so we actually do very well against the variants, particularly compared to, you know, our competitors. And so right now, our plan is not to do like a every year variation, but really to see how our booster keeps up against the new variants. So thus far, it's all right. But you know, again, we just stay close to the data and see how it continues.
It seems that you're looking to or going to be able to make a huge difference in the future. So that's always good news. This is what we're, we're here for. You know, we, we all have a choice of what we want to wake up and do. So I'm privileged to wake up and have a pretty large mission that feels very purposeful. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to? You know, you're an awesome conversationalist. So we, we covered a lot of cool topics. Hopefully, you know, I, I did a decent enough job in explaining how it works and, and why it really will be transformative. I love what we're doing. It's going to have a tremendous impact and we will get it done. I won't know exactly how it gets done. The only way to fail is to give up and we just keep going. Our mission, our destination is clear. The journey is the fun part. So definitely another interesting company doing groundbreaking work. And let's hope their products are making a difference globally in the very near future. Definitely keep an eye or an ear out for the company over the next few years. The company is Vaccinity, and that's with two X's. When I say two X's, it makes it sound like a third marriage. As it's the last podcast until the new year, maybe if you're missing it, there's an opportunity to check out some of the previous podcasts if you haven't listened to all 76 of them. Also, don't forget to check out the latest news and articles at labiotech.eu. And I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Have an amazing and peaceful holiday season. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join us again next time for another Beyond Biotech. Beyond Biotech.